Amen. How's everybody doing? We good? It's been a good weekend. I, I always love when the fall starts to come. Uh, there's something really exciting about that for me. It reminds me of home a little bit, and it, uh, I don't know. I, I get a little happier when it's not a billion degrees and I can go outside and, and not get super sweaty. We had a really great discovery lab yesterday where we had a big crew from the church here kind of discovering their kingdom dream and kind of looking at their life, paying attention to how God is working and moving. Lots of good things happening in the church. Have you guys enjoyed the series that we're doing right now about the way of Jesus? Uh, we've kind of been walking through the Beatitudes and, and it's been fun for me to kind of get to introduce you to some of my friends. So Olu was here a few weeks ago, Lee was here last week and, and they both did such an amazing job. Um, the, the challenge though with the Beatitudes is the church never gets very excited about the Beatitudes. Have you noticed this? Like we will get really fired up about keeping Christ in Christmas. We will get really fired up about putting the Ten Commandments in the, in the courtroom. There's a lot of things that we'll get really worked up about, but we rarely get really excited about the Sermon on the Mount. I've never heard somebody advocate that we have to have the Beatitudes in the schools. There's lots of things that we fight for and we get excited about and we get fired up about, but the Beatitudes is rarely one of those things. It's almost like we read these and we say, oh, those are nice. We read those and we say, those are a little idealistic, right? They're, they're good ideas, they're just hard to practice. But, but here's the reality, I hope that the last few weeks have made you squirm a little bit. Because the Beatitudes should make us squirm. It should make us feel uncomfortable. It should make us understand that there is a posture, there is a way of Jesus that we are invited into and sometimes we don't love the way of Jesus. We love our own way. We love the world's way. We love all the other ways except the way of Jesus. And so this week I've been preparing for this message and it's Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And God likes to mess with me because this week, has there's been more conflict in my life this week than there has been in the past 20 weeks combined. And I keep coming back to this and I'm like, God, why do you have to teach me through preaching? Right? It's like God knows, like preaching is my remedial discipleship plan. I think God knew that I was so jacked up that I would not figure it out unless I was forced to study it for hours and present it to a crowd. Like that's the only way I would know it or understand it. And this week I've had this posture of like, Lord, I just wanna fight. I wanna fight back. I'm tired of things being said that aren't true. I'm tired of... Lots of things, and I want to fight back, and, and the Lord keeps bringing me back to, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, and all week I've been squirming, because the reality is sometimes it makes us feel righteous to fight. Sometimes it makes us feel holy to fight. It feels really good when we win. It feels really good when you get the last word in. It feels really good when you're able to tell your side of the story. It feels really good when you're able to do all of those things, but the problem is people need to see our savior more than they need to see our opinions. And they need his word ultimately far greater than they need our word. And, and I, I kept going back to this image this week of 
Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to give us a little first century context here. Jesus was supposed to be a conqueror. He was supposed to be the one who brought the fight to Rome. He was supposed to be the one who overthrew the power of Rome and did it by taking and grabbing power and fighting for it. And so Jesus gathers this crowd on a hill and people are already talking. Maybe this is the one. Maybe he's the savior. Maybe he's the one that God sent to rescue us. Maybe he's our conqueror. Maybe he's the one who's gonna fight for us. Maybe he's the one who's gonna lead the rebellion that's gonna overthrow the Roman government that is oppressing us and holding us down. Maybe this is the one. They've already heard of the miracles that he's doing. They've heard of how he's teaching with a new authority and a new power and he's teaching kind of a new wineskin, a new, a new teaching and everybody is gathering to check out this conqueror who has come to fight and Jesus opens up the greatest sermon that has ever been preached with blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure of heart. And I can't imagine what that crowd is experiencing, except for this. They're squirming. Are you with me? Because Jesus isn't what we want all the time, but he is what we need. And so there's this squirming and this fighting because what they wanted was they wanted a zealot. In that time, there was all these Jewish resistance that were rising up against the Roman government, and there was these zealots, they would call them, who would rise up and who would fight the power, and their goal with fighting the power was to grab more power, and so there was this power struggle that was at the heart of everything that was happening in the culture in that moment, and they wanted Jesus to be this vigilante. They wanted him to be this zealot. They wanted him to raise up the Jewish army so that they would overthrow the oppressors. But Jesus starts with the way of reconciliation and not the way of power. He starts with the way of peace and not the way of fighting. And all this week, I've just been wondering, what would happen if we were as zealous for the Beatitudes as we are for power? What would shift in our hearts if we were as zealous for the way of Jesus as we are for the way of strength and authority and power in the world? What if we got as excited about being peacemakers as we do about winning arguments? Because the way of Jesus is different. We've been walking through this. We got a grid here that kind of shows the way of Jesus and then the distinctives of a disciple, that's kind of hard to read, um, but we've walked through all of these different beatitudes from Matthew three to Matthew nine. So the way of humility, the way of repentance, the way of submissiveness, the way of honesty, the way of mercy, the way of obedience, and today we're at the way of reconciliation. As we begin to talk about what does it look like for us to seek the peace and the prosperity of God's people and God's creation. And let's just be honest that making peace with each other is harder than it should be. It is. The scripture has an enormous amount to say about forgiveness, 
about justice, about reconciliation, about grace, about reconciling ourselves to each other and to God. If, if you take out pieces of forgiveness and, and stories of reconciliation, you lose so much of Jesus' core teaching. Like the core of his teaching over and over again brings us back to this posture and this heart of making peace, of being the first to forgive, of reaching out a hand to the, to the people that are against us, of, 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 of preparing a table in the presence of our enemies, of standing in all of these places. So we have to understand what does Jesus mean when Jesus says we are to be peacemakers? Because it's not just we're supposed to experience peace. It's not just that we're supposed to like have worlds of peace. It's not that we're supposed to be relaxed people, right? That's what the church wants right now, is we wanna just chill. Are you with me? Like we just wanna watch some Netflix, we wanna drink a beer and just hang out. Like that's what the church wants right now. We want peace for ourselves, but we don't want peace for the world. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be a peacemaker. Not just a, a, a peace chaser, right? It's easy for us to chase peace for our own life. I just wanna relax. I just want my kids to be quiet. I just wanna watch the football game. I just wanna stop dealing with all the crazy people in the world. I don't wanna look at social media and see what my crazy friends are posting. I don't wanna, like, I don't wanna deal with all the political divide, the racial divide, all of these different things. And so what we do is we leverage everything that we have so that we have peace for ourselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to be a peacemaker. That word peace is the word shalom. And anytime a Jewish reader would hear the word shalom, it would take them back to the garden. It would take them back to the place where God created man in, in woman, in his own image, and, and where he walked with him in the cool of the evening, where everything was as it should be. Shalom means everything that is complete. Everything as it should be. Everything God controlled. It's not the absence of war, it's the presence of something better. It's not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of completeness. It's the presence of wholeness. Uh, the core idea is that life is complex and sin has entered into the world and it's broken our shalom, it's broken our peace with God and with others and we have this broken peace around us but God is working to bring shalom. And this is the beautiful thing about God. God doesn't just work in, in isolation. He invites us to work as he works. He invites us to create as he creates. He invites us to build as he builds. He invites us to be a part of his reconciliation plan for the world. And Proverbs says, when we reconcile, we bring shalom. It's not just this we stop fighting, it's that we start working together. It's this completeness that happens where the people walked with God in the cool of the evening, where they trusted God, where they knew that God's way was the best way and where they took care of each other and creation. But the reality is we live in a world where we don't walk with God in peace in the cool of the evening. We live in a world where we don't not hurt each other, where we don't take care of creation and one another, where we don't trust in God's plan and his provision and his protection and in his word, but we try and go our own way. Augustine said it this way. He said, Adam is scattered throughout the globe. Set in one place, he fell. And as it were, broken and small, he has filled the whole world. This is this idea. Sin has shattered. It's gone everywhere. It's filled the whole world. But the divine mercy has gathered up the fragments from every side. 
He has forged them in the fire of love and he has wielded it into one that has been broken. An immense task it was indeed, but think of who the artist was. Sin has broken everything. And the shalom that we were originally created to experience has been broken by our disconnection from one another and from God. And so that's why we talk, when we talk about the Bible here, we talk about the Bible is the story of God putting his family back together again through Jesus. It's the story of God grabbing the fragmented pieces of this broken world and bringing it back together. That's why Jesus, when he came, he announced the coming of a new kingdom. And he called us kingdom ambassadors. We are the ones who announce the new kingdom to the world. We are the ones who bring this peace. We make this peace in every corner of our lives. And so we are actually called to be the peacemakers who bring the peace of the kingdom of God to every sphere of influence in our culture. This new shalom that is happening is available to us today. And we can bring it. We actually get to carry it into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our jacked up families, into all of these different places. We get to carry the peace of God and model a different presence. The problem is we're not zealous about it, guys. I think the church sometimes gets really fired up about all the wrong things. And I wonder how things would change. Because here's the reality. When I pursue peace for just myself, I want you to think for a minute. I want you to think of the most peaceful moment of your life. Think right now. Where were you? Were you on the beach? And you were looking and you were, I love the beach, man. The beach, there's something about the beach. Like if I'm at the ocean, I'm at peace. You can hear the waves crashing. You feel the sand on your feet. You can just see the vastness of the creation of God. Were you at the beach? Were you in the mountains? You saw the mountains and the the majesty of God and the glory of God around you. Were you just eating a meal with your family and it was one of those nights where everything was as it should be. Your children weren't fighting. The food was delicious. Everybody was laughing. Like what was happening in that moment? I can remember when I was, I think I was 28 years old and I had just gotten my dream job. I'd just been hired at this church in Kentucky and I was so excited about it. I went and I visited and they showed me that this church, like it was, it was this giant church and it was a big role that I had and there was, this, there was this gym. They had nine basketball courts lined up side by side and they were like, you have the keys and you can use it whenever you want. And I was like, all is good in the world. They showed me I had this corner office it had this view of like the whole city. I could see the city from above. It was this beautiful spot and I was so excited about the new role. I had met all the people on my team and I was thrilled to be working there. And I was like, I've arrived. I've done it, this is so amazing. And I remember we bought a house. So we, we had looked and it was the first time in our life that we had bought a real house. Are you with me? Like we had had like a starter house, which was like, this is all we can afford house. But this was like our house. It was a real, it was a house we were excited about. It was a house that we wanted. It was a house we were thrilled about. And I can remember, I I drove to Ohio and I picked up some furniture um, because we were at that stage where anything your parents would give you was still good. Uh, And so I was grabbing things from our parents and then we had like a storage unit in Ohio that had a bunch of our stuff, but we could never fit it in our starter house, but we could fit it in the house in Louisville, and I can remember, I don't know why I remembered this this week, but I can remember the moving van, me driving it, 
And I, there was nobody else in the van. I was going a, a night early to the house that we had just bought. The windows were rolled down. I was blaring some kind of music. I don't know, it was like Tom Petty or something like that. I was, I was, There's something going on. There was some goodness in the air. And I just felt at peace with the whole world. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you just feel like everything is good. Everything is right. Everything is as it should be. But here's the hard thing. Even in the middle of my greatest moment of peace, there is pain in the world all around us. There is oppression. There is injustice. There is racism. There is brokenness. There is death. There is hurt. There are broken relationships. I'm willing to guess that as I was making that drive, it was about a two and a half hour drive, as I was making that drive, there were people in the world who were experiencing their worst moments in life. And so what happens sometimes is we just pursue peace for ourselves without recognizing that I'm called to be a peacemaker who brings peace into others' worlds. I'm the one that brings peace into the other spheres of life. And so I wanna spend some time just talking about the posture and the heart of peacemakers, what the peacemakers do. I wanna start with this. Peacemakers start with their own heart and their own home. Jesus had this beautiful way of talking about discipleship. When he told his disciples to go, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to start where you are and then grow outward. And so for many of us, peace feels impossible right now. Peace feels really challenging. Like even experiencing peace in our own heart and our own soul feels really challenging. And my challenge is to start in your own heart, to start with your own life, to start with your family around you. Uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in all ways, the Lord will be with you. I love that, that language. At all times and at all ways, the Lord is available and peace is available to us. And so we need to make peace with ourselves and we need to practice peace in our families. Uh, I was in charge of bedtime with my kids when they were little. Uh, it, was, it was kind of the daddy time. And, and there was, when my boys were really little, like bedtime was just a disaster. I don't know, like the, there was always somebody had lost a shoe or there was a child that was naked. Like there was just some, something was always happening. Someone had punched someone else in the nose. Like there was always, and it was always this chaotic kind of crazy kind of stressful thing. And, and, and I remember my kids were like, I don't know, like four and six at that time or something like that. And I remember bedtime was so stressful for me. And it was stressful for them because it was stressful for me. And so the moment it was bedtime, I was like, it's bedtime. And the kids always acted surprised that it was bedtime. Like, it's the same time every night. Like, the, this is how the world works, children. Time is cyclical. Like, they're, no, it can't be bedtime. And then I start yelling, and they start yelling, and then somebody gets spanked, and then everybody's crying, and Sarah's looking at me like I'm the child. And, 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 and it was this amazingly stressful thing. And I had to realize, like, I have to actually change my own heart and my own rhythms so that my kids can experience peace. And I started to just try and make bedtime fun. I was trying to make bedtime great again, right? I was, I was trying to make bedtime fun. I was just like, let's, let's have fun with this. Let's 
sing a song. I was make, I'd make up songs about bedtime. And I would like, let's do a dance. Let's have a dance party before bed. And, and then the kids would get really worked up and hyper. And then I was like, that's not the right idea. And I was like, let's read the Bible because that will put them to sleep. And that didn't work. And I was like, all these different things. I just kept trying all of these different things. But what I realized in that moment was I was the one who was not bringing the peace. It wasn't my children, it wasn't my wife, it wasn't because it was bedtime, it was because my heart wasn't settled. And here's where it wasn't settled. I was too busy to put my kids to bed. Whew. Right? How awful is that? I was too busy to be bothered to put my kids to bed. And so bedtime had become a nuisance to me and I treated it like a nuisance. Instead of just being at peace in my own heart, the way you begin to make peace at your own heart is start to notice the stories that you're telling yourself. Start paying attention to your own inner dialogue. Start catching yourself in the moment where you act like this is something terrible that's happening when it's not something terrible that's happening. Start paying attention. Notice the triggers that set you off. Be slow to speak. You don't have to share every one of your opinions. You don't have to get in the last word. You don't have to always be right. It's okay for you to slow down. It's okay for you to say that you're tired. It's okay for you to say, I need to step away for a moment and so that I can be at peace. But what we do oftentimes is we, we live in this place of chaos, but it's by our own choosing. It's like peace is available to me if I want it. Jesus is present and he's at work. He's always present. He's always at work. First, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, the Lord of peace is here at all times and in all ways. He's right there. But what happens is in the heat of the moment, right, when the temperature begins to rise, when somebody says something to you at work, if that guy says something like me again, like if that, you know, when something goes on and you get all worked up and you get all fired up and you're not paying attention to what's going on in your head and suddenly you're in this place of complete stress and chaos and it's all by our own choosing. The second thing is that peacemakers are willing to be quiet and to listen. James chapter one, verses 19 through 20 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I'm gonna repeat that. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, it's the province of knowledge to speak and it's the privilege of wisdom to listen. Henry David Thoreau said, the greatest compliment that was ever paid to me was when someone asked me what I thought and they actually attended to my answers. Jesus said, scripture says, scripture says, I have prepared a table in the presence of your enemies. Do we really believe that's true? Because there's so much conflict in the world right now. There's racial tension, there's political tension, there's mask arguments, there's vaccination arguments. Uh, there's all of these things that are going on every single week that are happening in our world and we're choosing to break relationship with one another over things every day and choosing not to sit and listen and actually pay attention to each other. And I wonder what would happen if we actually just sat down at the table together. Because here's what I'm realizing. I'm realizing that my views and most other people's views are not as distant as I think that they are. Now there are some times when they are, 
And we've gotta deal with that. We're gonna talk about that later. But there are a lot of times when if I sit down and I actually listen to somebody, if I stop talking in memes and I start talking like a human, if I stop like sharing what I learned on social media and start just actually engaging in a person's heart and if I seek to understand before I seek to be understood, something breaks and something begins to happen. Guys, we've had an enormous amount of people who have left our church over the last two years because we're talking openly about race, injustice, racism. And anytime somebody comes to me and says, you're a Marxist or you're a whatever or you're a liberal or you're a whatever name you wanna call me, every time that happens, I just say, hey, I just wanna ask you one question. Are you actually sitting at the table with somebody who is hurting right now? When's the last time you invited somebody to your house who you disagree with, you sat over a meal, and you said, help me understand? You know what the common denominator of every person who's angry with me? None of them have done that. Things begin to shift when we listen. And, and what happens right now, especially in our culture, is our socials change, they create an echo chamber, right? And so our socials, like I post something and all the people that agree with me click thumbs up on it. Is it thumbs up? Is that what it is? They, they, they like it. They click a thumbs up on it. And then I, I see people that I disagree with now and I'm like, oh, that guy's an idiot. Unfriend, unfollow, unwhatever. And I just stop connecting with those people. And all of a sudden, I don't even realize it, but I've built an echo chamber so that the only people I hang out with are people that agree with me, people who believe the same things as me, people who look like me, people who like the same music as me, who eat the same food as me, who do the same things as me. And all of a sudden, I've, I've got this isolated experience where I don't experience the whole world. I'm only experiencing my experience. When I was a, a, a young dad, my daughter would, um, Friday was Claire's gotcha day. It was the day that we adopted her, which is always a special kind of fun day. And um, she's amazing and she's beautiful. She's 12. She acts like she's 17. Um, Lord, be with me. Um, teenage girls. I've said it before. They're the meanest mammals on the planet. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm telling you. Um, but we love her so much. And when she was a baby, um, I'll never forget, I was sitting one day and it was one of those days where Sarah had gone somewhere and I was in charge of watching her and I was just on my phone. She was crawling around and playing around. I was just, I was texting. I was trying to get stuff done at work while I was watching her, which dads, you know how that works sometimes. It's like, I'm just making sure that she stays alive. That, that was my task. Like, I'm not really gonna play. I'm not gonna be fun. I'm just, if you're alive when mommy gets home, I've done my job, right? It was one of those kind of days, and she crawled up on my lap, and I was like, I was doing the phone thing, and she kept kind of, and she kind of nudged her way under my arm to where she sat in front of me in my phone. She pushed her hand, this is before she could even talk, she pushed my phone down and went like this. I feel like there's a lot of world, right, our world right now that's just trying to grab our face trying to say, hey, I'm hurting, would you listen to me? I'm in pain, would you pay attention to me? I'm experiencing something that I don't know how to deal with, would you pay attention to my experience? 
Number three, peacemakers are willing, in, willing to enter into the pain of others. If we want to be peacemakers and not just be peace bringers, like peace getters, then we have to have empathy. And that empathy requires that I actually enter into the story of the people that I hear. So when I'm listening to somebody's story and I hear there's pain in that story, I can't ignore that story. That's why so many of the ways that we've built community around here is by sharing our stories. It's one of the things that we start doing in community because when you're around a group of people and you begin to hear their stories, so, so almost every time in previous churches that I've been a part of, when we build missional communities and we build community groups and we build uh, uh, those kinds of structures, one of the things that we do is we have a different person share their story every single week. And then as that person shares their story, here's the exercise that we do. Imagine that your life is a movie. What are the four scenes of that movie, the four moments of your life that make you who you are? And you can't say when I got married or when I had a child. But if somebody wants to understand who you are, how do they understand who you are? Tell us the story. And for weeks, we just sit and we listen to each other's story. And then at the time, somebody finishes their story. And you have to put people on a timer because there are people that will tell their story for 17 days. Right? So you gotta give them, like, you got 10 minutes to tell your story. You cannot tell us a 17-hour story. Right? So somebody tells their story, and then the question that the group does is, what's the most compassionate, curious question that you can ask them? What's the most compassionately curious thing that you can ask them? And so we start asking those questions and dialoguing about them. And, and, and what happens in those communities is things start to shift, and things start to change, and people start to grow. Because when we hear our stories, we can't ignore each other. It's real empathy. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And the church has done a really poor job of weeping with those who are weeping. We're good at rejoicing for the most part. But we've struggled to weep with those who are, weep, who are weeping and struggled to enter into somebody else's story. It's easy for us to ignore what we don't know. You can't ignore what you're sitting beside. Number four, peacemakers are willing to face hard and uncomfortable realities. Jeremiah 6.14 says this, it says, for they have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is the verse that keeps coming back to me over and over and over again over the last couple of years. As I think about the experience that many of my friends are having, what they're experiencing is people from the church saying, no, 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 it's okay. Everybody's, it's not as big, big a deal as you think. It's not as bad as what you think. It's not systemic. There's not stuff happening that you think is happening. It's just this little thing. It's just your experience. It's just an individual thing. And over and over and over again, what we're doing is we're dressing the wounds of our people lightly. And we're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And, and, and this brings us to this. I think there's a huge difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And so sometimes all we want is we want to keep the peace. Leadership is, if, if you're trying to lead a group of people and you're just trying to keep the peace, it's not going to go well. Because everybody's got opinions. Can you imagine if I did what every one of you want to happen on a Sunday morning? If I just said, hey, next week, we're doing what everybody in this room wants. 
So write down on a piece of paper, everybody, what you want in the service next week, and we're doing all of it. That would be the worst church service in the history of creation. Are you with me? We would be singing some terrible songs, right? I guarantee somebody would wanna do like Ice Ice Baby or something like that, right? There would be something, it's not even, it's not, I don't, there, we, we would have like, I, I bet there's like four people who if they could have their best service, they would preach. I wanna preach for two hours, right? They would be like, we, we would be here all day, we would just do whatever everybody wants to do and sometimes we get in these modes where we're in peacekeeping mode and all we're doing is we're appeasing everybody around us and trying to keep everybody happy and trying to make sure that everybody's okay rather than actually leading. And the weight of leadership means that there are times when I have to face the uncomfortable, hard realities and I have to lead, even when people don't like it, even when people don't want it, even people aren't excited about what you're saying, they're not excited about what you're doing, they're not excited about the direction you're going. I take my cues from the Father in heaven. And so we follow where he leads and we go where he's asking us to do and we don't just appease and keep everybody happy because this isn't real peace. When Jesus says, I want you to be a peacemaker, he's not talking about, I want you to be an appeasement person who keeps everybody happy. Reconciliation is about balancing the accounts. It's about making right what was broken. Appeasement is about giving in to the demands. It's giving in to the pressure of the people who are on top of the accounts, who want the best and who want this and they wanna keep the power and keep the authority and keep all of these things. And it does not work if we don't enter into the hard and the challenging and uncomfortable realities of peacemaking because peacemaking does not mean that I just say, oh, that's fine to everybody. Are you with me? Peacemaking does not mean that I just let people do whatever they want. Peacemaking means that we enter into the conflict trusting that God is in every space and everywhere. And we do the very best we can to reach out a hand and say, I am here if you want it. Number five, peacemakers don't always get the peace they want. This is what's hard. Because there are times when I bring an effort to bring peace and the people that I'm working with don't want peace. Are you with me? Where you're trying to reach out a hand, you're trying to move towards somebody, you're trying to bring some level of peace or understanding, you're trying to listen, you're trying to hear, you're trying to do all of those things, but the people that you're working with don't want peace. And we have to understand that our call is not to achieve perfection, but it is to make the effort. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. I love that verse because that first part is important. It doesn't say live at peace with everybody. It's not just a straight command. It's not just, hey, be at peace with everybody, everybody. It says, if it is possible, because sometimes it's not possible, right? Sometimes you're an adult and you've reached out and you've tried to heal, you've tried to help, you've tried to listen, and the people that you're dealing with don't wanna listen, they don't wanna heal, they don't wanna be with you. And then it says, as far as it depends on you. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching my kids this over and over and over and over again. Because here's what my kids say to me. I had to respond because they did this. Have you heard this? I think there's a lot of adults that act this way too. We are triggered by something that somebody else does 
And it causes us to act in a certain way and we act as if that's out of our control. What I'm saying to my children over and over and over again is you decide how you respond to every situation. You choose. You decide. No one makes you respond a certain way. We live as thermometers when we're called to be thermostats. So when the temperature rises in the room, or if I'm talking to Ryan and Ryan says something that gets me worked up, the temperature starts to rise and I just meet his level of anxiety, right? So if he starts getting worked up, then I start getting worked up and then all of a sudden the whole room's worked up and we've got this anxious, anxiety, frustration, fighting that's going on. And the reason why is because I'm choosing not to be a leader. I'm, I'm, I'm laying down my leadership in that moment and I'm allowing myself to rise to where the other person is, rather than being the thermostat that says, this is where we're setting the temperature in the room and we're not going anywhere above this. I've said to people in the last two years more than I ever had before, you are not allowed to talk to me that way and we're not gonna have that kind of conversation. You set the temperature, you set the thermostat. Think about Jesus. Jesus was the most non-anxious presence that ever walked the earth. And what we do often, and this is, this is my concern with the church right now in the world, what we do is we absorb the anxiety in the room and we believe that it's holy. So if everybody's anxious in the room, we absorb it all. We take it all. We hold it for ourselves and we become anxious and we become worried and we become frustrated and we rise to whatever uh, uh, the anxiety is happening and we take everybody else's anxiety and we hold it onto ourselves. Think about how many times the Pharisees came to Jesus with anxiety. And Jesus said, I'm doing the will of my Father. Think of how many times the disciples came to Jesus with their anxiety, and Jesus said, no, this is, the way of, this is the way of my Father. Think of how many times the crowds brought anxiety. The crowds wanted to kill him. The crowds wanted to make him king. The crowds wanted to crucify him. The crowds wanted, like there's this, the crowds never, the crowds are idiots. Right? The crowds never know what they want and they fluctuate from time to time and moment to moment and Jesus just keeps retreating to be with his father and keeps coming back as a non-anxious presence. I've said this for many, many years. The leader in the room is the one who has a non-anxious presence but is still working towards a solution. The leader in the room is the one who is not anxious but is continuing to solve the problem. In the church, guys, in the last two years, what have we done with the anxiety of the world? What have we done with the anger of the world? What have we done with the frustration of the world? We've tried to yell louder. We become just as anxious. We become just as afraid. We've absorbed all of it to where our churches, guys, I, I meet with pastors every single week. The amount of abuse our pastors are taking is ridiculous. Because we've absorbed all of the anxiety of the world and we're lashing out. What if we could be the same non-anxious presence that Jesus was? And what if when we felt the, the, the peace of anxiety that just overflowed and overwhelmed us and we felt the thermostat rising and we felt the temperature going up and all of those things happening, 
Father, what's your plan for me? Father, what's your will for me? I'm going to get away from the crowd. I'm going to go away from the anxiety. I'm going to get away from social media. I'm going to get away from my favorite news channel. I'm going to get away from all the voices that are shouting, and I'm going to get alone with the Father, and I'm going to say, Lord, what's next? And I'm going to recalibrate and realign and fall under his will, and I'm going to walk out of that space a non-anxious presence. Lastly, as peacemakers find their ultimate hope in the work of Jesus. Revelations 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. A peacemaker finds their hope in Jesus. And there is a reality, guys. In this world, we will have what? Trouble. In this world, we will have non-shalom. In this world, we will have conflict. In this world, we will have relationships that are at odds with each other. In this world, there will be sin. In this world, there will be people who hurt you, who trigger you, who make you angry, who are angry with you. In this world, we will have all of those things. But Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so when the world feels like it's teetering on its end and everything is falling apart, when it feels like there is no peace, when it feels like the anxiety has reached threat level midnight, right? When it's all the way up here, when we're just like about to blow, our hope is in Jesus. Jesus in Gethsemane. We'll just keep going back to that this week. Jesus in the garden. Knowing the pain that was in front of him, he just said, I trust you, Father. I trust you, Lord. And I wonder if we do the same. The promise here is a real simple promise. It says, your sons and daughters. That's the promise. This is actually the one of all the Beatitudes that everybody wants the promises. Everybody wants peacemaking and everybody wants to be a son or be a daughter, but here's the reality of the, that promise that I think is beautiful, is that kids look like their father. If we're gonna be children of our father, Jesus, then we need to think about the links that he went to be at peace with us. We need to think about how he went, he risked everything, gave everything, came down to earth, inhabited the body of a human, took on human flesh, uh, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that Christ over and over again said, peace is worth it, and because it's worth it, I'll fight for it, I'll sacrifice for it, I'll surrender to it, I'll give up something for it, and I wonder if we're willing to fight for peace. I wonder if we're willing to experience uh, giving ourselves up for peace. I wonder if we're willing to surrender. Will we risk anything to create peace? Or will we just keep absorbing the anxiety and the stress of the world and projecting it back out? And will the church continue to look exactly like the world in the way that we deal with everything? So I don't know today, guys. This is a hard message. This is hard for me. I'm guessing it was hard for some of you as well. But I'm also guessing there are really clear elements in your life just like they are in mine where you say, 
I don't know if I have an imagination for peace right here. I have an imagination for conflict that's really good. <laughs> I have an imagination for, I wish I would have said this. I wish I could have done this. I wish, I wish I could do this. I have all those imaginations. But I always have a great imagination for what peacemaking is. But here's what I'm confident of. Jesus does. And the only way we're gonna figure out our peace is in the presence of Jesus. And so the band's gonna come, and as they do, we're gonna take communion. And I mean, I don't know if there's a more fitting Sunday for us to take communion. There's tables and some stations with the juice and, and the bread where we just remember the length that Jesus went to forgive us and to make peace with us. And then we just sit with him and say, all right, Lord, here's the area of my life where things aren't at peace. Here's the relationship where I don't have an imagination. Here's the space where I haven't listened. Here's the spot where I've been the thermostat and not the thermometer. Here's the moment where I've done everything wrong. And I need your grace. And I need your wisdom and I need your guidance to show me what's next. And here's the greatest thing, guys. This is the greatest thing about our lives. Repentance is the best thing that can happen to us. Like when I recognize I've done the wrong thing, I've responded in the wrong way, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have whatever, the best thing that we can do is repent. And it's to say to Jesus and to each other, I'm sorry, I wasn't living at peace. I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry I shouldn't have responded that way. I'm sorry I didn't listen. I'm sorry that I didn't sit with you at a table and ask you questions. I'm sorry that I allowed a, a meme to ruin our relationship. I'm sorry that whatever that thing is, we can set the table again and come back and say, all right, I'm here again. So we've got some folks in the back that wanna pray with you if you wanna pray. The band is gonna sing. And I just wanna pray right now that the Holy Spirit would do some work in this room that I can't do. We've had a real sense as a staff, guys, this week that there is unforgiveness and resentment in this room that just needs to be healed and needs to go away today. That there are relationships that have been broken over the past two years that need to be healed and restored today. And I want you to know that right now, Right now, in every way, in every time, the presence of the Lord is here and willing to make peace. We'll just go to him. So Heavenly Father, I pray right now for a peace that passes all understandings to flow throughout this room right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your peace would inhabit this place in a new way, in a fresh way. I pray that you would take our anxiety, that you would take our fear, that you would take our hatred, that you would take our anger, that you would take our frustration, and that you would mold it into something new that looks like you. I pray that you would give us an imagination for how we talk about our beliefs, how we carry our, our, our wounds and our hurt in a new way and in a fresh way. I pray that you would teach us to not absorb the pain and the frustration of the world, but you would allow us to grow in grace and mercy. And I pray that we would inhabit both grace and truth in every area and in every way of our lives. So right now, Lord, we ask that you would seek our heart and that you would know us. I ask that you would reveal to every single person within the sound of my voice an area of their life or a person that they need to move towards with peace. I 
pray that you would bring the breakthrough. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. Make us zealot. Make us zealous for the Beatitudes. Make us want to fight for this stuff. Teach us to be the people that live in your way. So, in Jesus' name.